everybody, my name is Chase Whitney. And this is Kyle Cameron. And you are listening to the first episode of the Chase and Kyle Master the Market podcast. We are two realtors in the Southern California market and want to create a resource for all things related to real estate. We're going to hit on a few topics each episode, but our plan is to keep them brief. As we know, everyone's schedules are busier than ever. That said, our first episode, we're going to touch on wire fraud, which is becoming more and more common. Yeah, like Kyle mentioned, a wire fraud has been a huge talking point recently and unfortunately something that is very easy to become suspect to. We're also going to go over some things to consider and keep in mind when selecting an agent for your home purchase. If this is your first time listening, then thank you for coming. The Chase and Kyle Master of the Market podcast is produced every other week and show notes are found on our website, chaseandkylepodcast.com. So come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. And you can also follow our show on Twitter at Chase. Mm, Kyle and Facebook. And remember, that's Chase N. Kyle with Chase an N. Chase Kyle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All links are in our show notes as well. Let's get right to it. So uh, wire fraud, what is it? Uh, how does it affect real estate? Uh, obviously, wire fraud is when someone gives you fake instructions and can have you send large sums of money uh, to a fraudulent make account out of the country, somewhere it's not supposed to go. All of that kind of falls into the um, umbrella. Yeah, it's been happening a lot more recently now uh, in this new day and age with how fancy people are getting with computers and they're making it seem like it's coming from someone very official when in fact it's not. Right. And and usually, you know, there are two main wires that take place during a transaction on the buying side. Uh, The first, of course, is your initial deposit, which goes into escrow um, pretty much right away. I mean, that's relatively speaking, a much smaller amount of money. We're talking five, 10, maybe $20,000 top, which of course is still a huge amount of money. But um, when you take into account, you know, 20% purchase price or 20% of the purchase price, that's a lot bigger. But the second time is towards the end of escrow or depending on where you're at in the country towards the end of closing, um, you have to send in the rest of your, your down payment. Now, like Chase said, The initial deposit is a smaller amount of your down payment that you send in at the very beginning of escrow. And then once you get towards the end of escrow or towards the end of closing, you have to send in the rest of your down payment in order to fund the loan. So you can, you can close on your house. Um, There are other instances where you have what's called an increased deposit and scammers are trying to take advantage of that. Also Um, most offers don't have an increased deposit though. So Chase, the example that that we're going to use, how how did they work that into into the the equation? So what happened was this is a, a story from an agent in our office. We're not going to, of course, name names and get into the the particulars, but generally speaking, the hackers or the 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 fraudsters, we'll call them for lack of a better word, <laughs> <laughs> they uh, they got into an email account. We're not sure if it was escrow or title or. Uh, the realtor um, themselves, uh, where they were able to hack in. But once they get in, into um, their account and see the remaining email addresses, names, uh, dates, and stuff like that, they have all the information that they kind of need to kind of circumvent, you know, legal, you know, methods to, <laughs> to, to, to communicate. So uh, what had happened was they had emailed um, from what looked like a very legitimate email address, and they had the person's name on there correctly, the agent who it was from. Uh, they copied the email signature, so it looked to a, a, a an average person that's not, you know, looking for these kinds of red flags. It would look and kind of pass as completely normal. Um, and they basically said, 
that they uh, escrow is calling for an increased deposit with um, you know more money to be sent immediately as soon as possible. And I think in this case, Kyle, I think was it fifty? Yeah, 50 I'm, grand I'm looking for the page the right now. Day or two. Yeah, so basically, I, I have the email right here in front of me. We printed it out uh, just so we have an idea and we can show you what how how realistic it actually looks. It says, "Hi, buyer." Steve. John, <laughs> yeah, escrow requires that you wire an additional deposit of fifty thousand dollars today, which will act as the goodwill estimate of the balance of the down payment. Due and I'll, I'll stop you there for a quick sec. Um, it might be different back east or in different parts of the country, but generally speaking, for our Orange County, Southern California, you know, LA County market, you know, there's some some things in there that you can listen for. Um, in my years, I'm sure in yours, you've never heard it called a goodwill no, estimate either. Never. Um, initial deposit, earnest money deposit. Those are the terms that are are typical for this area. I mean, again, if, if back east is different, I do apologize. But um, something else I just noticed as he was reading that. But go ahead. Yeah, and there's some there's some trigger words in here that if, like you said, if you're not if you're just an average buyer, then this could scare you. It basically says the fifty thousand dollars will act as a goodwill estimate. Uh, balance of down payment due for closing and will also be credited toward your closing costs. So then you're thinking, okay, I'm getting the money back so we can have a smooth and fast closing. Those are trigger words. Yeah. That's what everyone wants to see. Safety and comfort. Yeah. Right? They make you feel like, okay, I need to do this so I can get a smooth and fast fine, closing. Right? But how the contracts work here is, you know, going into it. So when you write your offer, we'll get into this a little bit later and maybe another episode about writing offers, but typically when you write your offer, you put down the amount of money that you're going to put down for your initial deposit. And then you also know what you're going to have to bring in at the, at the end of escrow or towards the end of closing to finish off your down payment. Now, you know, ahead of time, if you are going to put in an increased deposit, there's, there's situations sometimes where people put in increased deposits because, Hey, maybe they're getting an influx of cash in, you know, two weeks, but they found this house that they really want. They'll put down what they have now and say, hey, Mr. Seller, in two weeks, I'm going to have all this extra money coming in from, I'll I'll bring it in later. So that's typically the only time when an increased deposit is going to be used. And that's still, you know, pretty uncommon, um, generally speaking, Um, but it it does happen. It does happen. But, you know, the other thing I was looking at the email uh, just now, and the one piece that we didn't see um, as a story was shared with us um, the attachment that had wire instructions on there. Now, I'm going to be pretty sure, 99.9% sure, that the wire instructions they got for their initial deposit and the wire instructions here are obviously going to look different. Now, whether it's the same format, the same, it says it's the same bank and the account number is the only thing that changes, that's big too. Um, the wire instructions throughout the entire course of escrow aren't going to change. Um, escrow is not going to have a new wire account or bank account opened during the period that you're in escrow yep. and then drop a, slip a fashion on you and change the escrow, the, uh, I'm sorry, the wire number yep. at the end there. So that was something that we didn't see, but again, I'm very sure that, you know, the first set of wire instructions that you do see, you're going to want to make sure when you go to send more money that they match, of course. Yeah. So what, what should you do if, if you're putting in your initial deposit and so you just opened escrow, you're all excited you get the wire instructions from your agent or from escrow, whoever it is. What what should you do to make sure that you don't get? Scammed? You know, I've I've always advised my buyer, our buyers, um, you know, recently that when you get wire instructions, you know, 
you want to call your agent first and, and make sure they're available to take the call. And that we'll get into that a little bit later as well. Um, but call your agent and verify that this is the right amount. This is the date I'm supposed to be sending it. Um, this is correct. Um, and then B, I would, I would be very sure to call escrow. Um, whether you're driving to the bank, you're in the car, you can you know call them on Siri or whatever. Or if you're in the parking lot, if you're in front of the teller, it doesn't really matter. You know, escrow unless they're on lunch, which does happen. But you know, they're going to be available. You know, they're the person who answers the phone can can answer that question for you. They can always verify that number um, just to double, triple, and quadruple check that these sums of money that you're sending are going to the right place. Because again, we'll talk a little bit more. But you know, getting a a wire fraud type sum of money back is from what we hear Not is easy. darn near impossible. So <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean that, that one extra call to your agent that if you think, Oh my gosh, they're busy. I don't want to bug them. Don't call worry about them. it. Call them and bug them. <laughs> it <laughs> could be, it could be a $30,000 phone call that you're saving yourself. Right. Now I, we don't want to scare you guys and say this is happening, you know, every single day all the time. And 90% of it's, it's very, it's very not, rare. No. And I think the last, maybe what, last year and a half or so since this has become, become more and more popular, you know, we work for a pretty big company down here in Orange County, and this is the, I think, second instance, Yeah. you know, and we're talking, our companies, you know, we're almost 2,000 agents big. So this is just the second instance of it happening in our company. Now, obviously, you know, our market is much bigger than just 2,000 agents. So um, it does happen, but it's not... You know, don't let it scare you away from, you know, buying a home. It's a very important <laughs> and, and very exciting time. But, um, you know, and the one funny thing I was going to mention, too, is the last buyers that I had that I mentioned this, you know, kind of process to, hey, make sure you call escrow when you're on the way to the bank, when you're at the bank, whatever, call them and just make sure the numbers are correct. So they called me after um, after completing the wire, they're driving back to work. And I said, Chase, you're not going to believe this, but I called him and the guy I was talking to kind of laughed at me as in, you know, why the heck are you calling asking? Of course, you got to send the money and this <laughs> is the number. We gave it to you already. And, you know, kind of surprised me because you would think escrow would want to make sure that the money goes to the right place too. But, you know, as this becomes more and more of a serious thing to, to take into consideration and to be aware of, it's going to become more and more standard practice across yeah. the industry. That just, to that, that just goes to show check. how how rare it is now that even some escrow companies still aren't up to date on it. Um, but because it is becoming more and more and more prevalent, everyone's going to catch on and they're going to, you know, they're going to really understand. And there's a couple other things in that email that, um, that we were talking about earlier yeah. that you can be aware of. And one of them is, and this is, takes a little bit of, um, a little bit of concentration, a little bit of focus because you need to look at the, at the email addresses. Now, two of them, you know, because a lot of times in a real estate transaction, there's people that are, you know, CC'd on emails that just so they can track and, and keep a, keep a log of all the, of all the emails. But if there's an email address on there that looks fishy, it probably, probably is fishy. Is. And this, this one particular email address, let me well, look and at you know, it real quick. It, it, what's, what's funny is it doesn't, if you're not looking again, you know, it might pass you over because the the name that they had set it up for was correct. But again, we're not going to you know, give you the exact thing. Yeah. But for example, it would have been you know if the person's real email address was you know Joe Johnson at gmail dot com. This email address is Joe Johnson dot gmail dot com at gmail dot com. So 
kind of a small, I know, kind of a small change, but again, something to be aware of is in that they can be pretty sneaky that way. And, you know, if you're, if you're techie and you know this kind of stuff, that's great. And you're going to be one step ahead. But if you aren't, you know, a couple of, of small things to be aware of and to look for can really, you know, potentially save you a lot of money. Yeah. And lastly, um, in this email, the, the other thing to look at after the, the, so we can have a smooth and fast closing the, these, uh, what'd you call them? Fraudsters. Fraudsters. Yeah. yeah the, I like fra- the fraudsters. I like they, they also put in a, another two sentences here that said, I'm having multiple show. This is from the agent. Um, I'm having multiple showings. Hence, I will not be able to pick up calls, but will be readily available via emails. Kindly advice, ad- advice. It's actually not even correct grammar. <laughs> Kindly advice. If funds can be wired today, I have also attached wiring instructions from escrow. That's yeah. another thing to look out for. Your agent should always be able to, if they can't pick up a call, they should always be able to look at a text message. Text, email. And even even email in this case, though, is, is dangerous. That is true. Because it's now going to all these other people. So right. if you're getting a suspicious email like this, even if it says, if it's an email, if it says don't call me, call them. If they get mad at you for calling them, then shame on them. Then yeah, shame on them. <laughs> they might be a fraudster too. Yeah, you're watching out for your for your money. And you know, we want to watch out for it too. If if this agent would have gotten this call, if even though it says don't call me, if this agent would have gotten that call, she would have said, Absolutely not, don't wire those funds. Let me let me go, you know, check out what's what's going on here. Right. And and a side a side note to that also is, you know, wire instructions going back to kind of square one here. They don't come from your agent. Um, they're going to come from escrow. escrow. So if or you're ag- if you're on the East Coast, they'll come from. I believe it's an attorney. attorney. Right. So, uh, but they're not going to come from your agent. Your agent's not going to have in their back pocket wiring instructions from escrow. So another kind of a small red flag to kind of be aware of, um, just as you're as you're verifying the information to make sure that everything is kosher. Yeah. Um, but kind of back to that point about. You know, making sure that an agent that you pick, and we're going to kind of transition here into you know, what to look for, but, you know, on on both sides of the transaction, if you're a buyer or a seller, first thing, you know, and we, we, we see surveys all the time about, you know, what consumers are looking for. Um, and nine times out of 10 or 99 times out of 100, uh, the first thing on there is going to be communication, uh, whether that's, you know, just ease of ease of talking back and forth on our, our case here, we're talking more about being available, but, you know, realtors should kind of be aware that this industry requires them to work nights, work weekends, um, you know, generally speaking, maybe not, you know, 1130 p.m., although I've taken calls that late, I'm oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. All you guys, it, it does happen. All you guys have jobs that you usually can't, you know, pick up the phone and call your real estate agent. Our job is at, to be, at work two around o'clock, hours. Yeah, yeah, two o'clock in the afternoon on Wednesday. That's when we're doing most of our administrative work, stuff like that. Um, so if you have a, a question at eight o'clock at night and you've been working all day, call. That's what that's what we're supposed to be here for, and that's something to look out for when you're when you're talking to an agent. And we're going to go into like Chase said, what to, what to look out for when you're not to, not what to look out for, but what to look for to consider, when you're yeah. yeah when you're picking an agent to represent you when you're buying a house and. One of them is that they are going to be available. Right. There are a lot, especially right now, there's an influx of, you know, 
hundreds, if not thousands, of of new realtors in the area, especially in Southern California, mm-hmm. where there's just massive, massive amount of agents out there. But um, you know, going hand in hand with being available nights and weekends, you want someone full time. Um, there are a lot of agents that kind of have their license in their back pocket, and they'll help friends and family. And sometimes that can be beneficial to you. But you, especially right now um, in this seller's market that we're in, with inventory low, rates still very, very good. Uh, you want when the right house comes on the market, you don't want to have to wait six days to get in and take a look mm-hmm. because if it if it is the right house and it's a beautiful house and, and, and shows well and everything else, it's going to be gone in six days. And so you don't want the availability of your agent to hold you back from getting what might be your dream home. Yeah. And you know what the best way to get around that is? What's that? Find properties that aren't even on the market yet. There you go. So very nice. I like that. I like that. So again, moving forward here, you want someone in the area that you're looking, you know, to know the area, know the schools, know the neighborhoods and kind of what, what different areas get you, what, you know, what, where your money goes, this part of town, that part of town. You know, if you're looking, you know, in, you know, city A, call it Long Beach, you don't want to have an agent from Riverside representing you on the buying site because they're not going to have a no, not everybody. <laughs> there are people that are you know that might live in a different area, but you know, generally speaking, if you live forty-five minutes away, your agent lives forty-five minutes away from the area you're looking. They're probably not going to be an expert in what's the best elementary school in that district. Where what's the safe part of town? Where should I be looking for my family or, or whatever situation it is? Um, you want them to know the inventory. And especially in, uh, now this is more for buyers that are in more congested areas. We're in Southern California. So we have millions of homes in a very, very small amount of, of area. Yeah, seriously millions. <laughs> and the, you can go from one side of the street to another side of the street. And it's a completely different price point. And school district. And school and district. Safety area. There's, zone, yeah. there's one spot in particular in, it, it, this is actually in Long Beach. Mm-hmm. You go from one side of the street. It's the same exact schools, same exact, pretty much everything else, but it's a different builder. So when these were all built in the 50s and 60s, there was a, a, a little section that was built by someone else. And those homes go for about, I don't know, $800,000. If you go two streets over, $600,000. Yeah. So, you know, someone might not, an agent, like you said, from 45 minutes away, an hour away, might not know the difference of those two homes to where they can advise you, hey, listen, yeah, you might be spending $200,000 more on this house, but because of who the builder was, because of this you know, specific street or because mm-hmm. of this area, it's it's actually worth it. I mean, now I'm not saying everyone has the flexibility to spend an extra two hundred thousand dollars, <laughs> but it's change, just right? something like something like that, especially or when you're going to look for comps. If you're if the that house at at six hundred thousand, maybe that's overpriced at six hundred thousand, but this other agent sees the house two streets down that's listed at eight hundred thousand, and they're telling you, hey, this is a really good buy. This one's only six hundred thousand compared to this one over here that's six hundred thousand right, or eight hundred thousand. Right. Sorry. So it's it's different things like that that you need to look out for and and make sure that you're choosing the right agent. And, and kind of going hand in hand with that, Kyle, on knowing inventory is you know if, if an agent's familiar with the the area that you're looking, they're going to know of homes coming soon. They might know some neighbors that um, are planning to move in a few months or a couple of weeks or are waiting for a nice family to 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 move into their home. They you know they will know someone at their office that might have a couple of listings that might be coming soon. So. 
the more familiar an agent is with the area, the better chance you're going to have and better opportunity you're going to have to you know, make that move and, and be comfortable throughout that process. Yeah, exactly. Uh, going along with that, the next thing to look out for or to, to look for is actually someone that knows how to do their job. And what our job mainly is, is working with the contracts and deciphering disclosures that we all get the, from sellers. All the really fun stuff. Yeah, this is the right? stuff the that paperwork. people get really excited yes. for. They can't wait for it. Yeah, and you know, every it seems like every few months there's a new disclosure that comes out or a paragraph that is changed <laughs> or removed or generally speaking is going to be added in California mm, because yep. you know every time someone gets sued, they add a paragraph to the contract That's and right. they add a whole new four-page disclosure. And But, you know, these are required documents and are... You know, well, a lot of the disclosures might not be, you know, necessarily contracts. They're all required by the state. They're required by um, every office out there to complete during a transaction. So, you want someone that is able to explain them thoroughly to you, um, all of the state required disclosures as well as uh, in, any office required disclosures. And most importantly, or more importantly than those, I would say also are the seller filled out disclosures because those mm-hmm. are the ones that change, right? Yep. The state, and if, if you've bought property, you, you know this, but you know, there's probably disclosure wise, Kyle, what? 50 pages probably of disclosures. Now, a lot of them are, they're not fluff. That's not the right word, but they don't change, right? Yep. A lot of them are, are just state required here. You got to sign this, got to sign that. It's important to know, but the most important ones, generally speaking, are the 10 pages or so of what the seller knows about the property that they're selling, what they can answer for you, you know, what it comes with, what works, what doesn't work to their knowledge, what was upgraded, what was painted, that kind of a thing. Um, but you want to know or want to make sure that, that that the agent you select is able to review them with you, um, explain them to you line by line so you yep. know thoroughly what you're buying on paper as well as in person, of course. You know thoroughly what the seller knows. What the seller That's, knows about that, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, and there's, there's times where where sellers honestly don't even know everything about their property. Mm-hmm. And it's good to look at those and get a better idea of the history of the home and what the seller, you know, remembers and knows and all that about the home. Right. Um, and then, you know, the main contract that as a buyer you're going to sign or, or go through is, is generally the offer or the purchase or, agreement. Purchase agreement, exactly. And that's another well, now it's 10 pages. By the time you hear this, it might be 11 pages. You never know. But, um, you know, that's that's the bread and butter, right? That's that's where, you know, the terms that you're looking for on this on the home price, as well as a myriad of other terms that you're going to ask for. What time Good periods? Word. Myriad. Thank you. I, you know, it came to me. Nice. Uh, <laughs> you know, what what uh, what terms you want that are going to be favorable to you, but also, you know, the seller is going to be, be agreeable to. And you, you want the offer to look as, as best as it possibly can on paper. Especially if you're going up against multiple offers. Yeah. That's that's when the knowledge of the contract from your buyer's agent is most crucial. Mm-hmm. Because and there's there's different ways to structure the to structure the offer so it looks more enticing to the seller. What are some of those ways? Well, I, I was just gonna say, you know, there have been times when we've beat out Five, six. There was a time I beat out, well, my client, I should say, beat out 12 <laughs> other offers and the purchase price was not the highest. Yep. You know, timing can be a huge factor for a seller. You know, maybe they, 
you know, want someone to remove their contingencies, you know, right away, which may or may not be okay. But you know, every situation is a little bit different. But you've got timing. You've got what you're going to request that may or may not cost money to the seller. Um, termite clearance, uh, your home warranty, who pays for that? And we're mm-hmm. talking when you're looking at a house that might be four hundred thousand dollars, eight hundred thousand dollars. You know, home warranty plan is what four hundred. Yep. Not that much money that. For some reason, to sellers, the less that you ask for can look good. And I'm not saying that every time is a smart way to do that, or a smart time to, to you know, pay for that yourself or, or what what have you. But these are certain things that we've done that have worked and and beat out numerous numerous other offers. Yeah, I'm sure it's, you've got similar. Oh yeah, it's. I mean, it's small. You know, that the the price of some of these things that are usually typical to ask sellers for are in the grand scheme of things. You know, small potatoes for what you're actually buying. Right. And you know, so uh, one other thing to consider too on as an agent reviewing offers for our seller before we go to present them and we, we review, you know, say we have, you know, five offers on the table and they're all really, really good offers. Generally speaking, the prices are, are comparable, this, that, and the other. But if the offer is written poorly, mm-hmm. right? Missed check boxes, um, missed things that are that are required, or you know, again, again the, the big one are, are check boxes for items that need to be, you know, one one way or the other on the offer. Um, you know, that's a huge thing. And if, if it's not a clean offer, or if the if the buyer is say, yeah, the price is right, but so are the other three offers, mm-hmm. everything else looks good, but they're demanding that they use this company for that, this company for this. They missed this check box and mistyped the seller's name or the property address. You know they're probably going to be fifth on the list pretty quick. Yeah, in just not filling out the offer yeah. in a professional it's manner. Not, it's not taking the time to make sure it's done. It's trying to do it quick. And right. when you're as if I was a seller or a listing agent, I if I saw that, I would think ahead. Okay, what else is this person just going to be trying to get done quick? Yeah, yeah. and not be thorough on. Yeah, and if I'm the buyer, I don't want my agent to be, to be that person, you know, and, and to that point, you know, when you're buying or selling a home for that matter, you're generally talking about the client's biggest investment, their biggest purchase they're ever going to make. And, you know, this kind of goes back to the first thing or one of the first things we mentioned was, you know, when you find the right house and you, and you take a look at it and it's, it's the house that you want, you don't want an agent that's not as familiar with the contracts Mm -hmm. or how to write an offer and structure it to be the reason that you might not get it. My so my my biggest thing and what I try and when I'm working with buyers is what I try to convey to them is my goal is to educate you about this process as much as possible. We we, we want it to be easy. You know, yeah. our our job we we see this day in and day out, you know, 7 days a week and we're very familiar and our job is to take the uncertainty away mm-hmm. and take away the the stress. I know it's, it's going to be stressful regardless, but to be as stress-free as possible because there are some pretty big hoops to jump through and we, we just want to be there to guide you. Yeah. And be there we to want, help. we want you to be able to get into go into a meeting with us or go going over disclosures or going over the offer or anything like that. We want you to be able to walk out and not have any questions. We want you to know exactly what's going on. We want you to know exactly what's happening next. And if something wasn't clear to you, and if you don't feel comfortable asking your agent to clarify it, then there's something wrong with the relationship there. There was someone, I, I forget who, what the quote was, but uh-huh. so I actually, I, I went to college to be a teacher and right, then just right. decided to go into real estate instead. 
Um, <laughs> one of our, one of our, <laughs> one of our quotes that we, that was told to me that always stuck with me was if you don't understand, if you can't explain something simply, you don't understand it well enough. Right. So it's on the agent to be able to explain everything to you. It shouldn't be up to you to go into a meeting with your agent and then have to go home and Google. What did that mean? You know, what does this mean? Right. The agent should be able to, to, to clearly tell you what's going on. Well, I mean, think, think about when you go to the doctor's office, right? You ask a bunch of questions about what's going on with you. And the last thing you want to do is leave your doctor's office and have to go home and Google further information because you're going to end up on WebMD exactly. and you're going to freak yourself back out into going to the ER. And that's exactly. kind of a, 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 we'll call it a mediocre analogy. Um, <laughs> but subpar, you know, kind of important. You no, know, exactly. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take, I'll take the, I'll take the fall on that one. But yeah. And you know, one more thing to consider too, and this kind of is a broad, uh, broad topic here on how to, how to pick an agent and kind of what to look for. But you want an agent that that is aware of red flags on a home that you might not see. You know, a lot of times when when we show buyers homes, they're so excited, so excited to look at the house to see what it looks like, what's been done, how the kitchen is, how they can envision, you know, their furniture, their family there, um, Thanksgiving, holidays, that kind of a thing that they might miss a huge crack in the foundation. Mm -hmm. Something like that, that again, they might not see that, you know, our job isn't really to scare buyers away. It's more to make sure they're aware of all facets of the home. Yeah. Right. And also going at it the other way, if we walk into a house and we go into the garage and we see a little crack in the garage. Good point. Some buyers might be like, oh my goodness, the foundation is going to, this house is going to fall down. That's However, where, every that's house where, in Southern California yeah, has a crack in the exactly. garage. So that's where knowing your market, knowing the area that sometimes and there's one market here where there is dairy farms. So all, the soil is a lot of alkaline soil. So it expands and contracts a little bit more than typical soil. Right. So a lot of houses have these little cracks. They're not dangerous. They're just, you know, it's just from settling. So it's yep. not in that same market. First house I ever saw was, I was representing the buyer on this one. This was two months ago. I was doing my visual inspection that we're, you know, kind of required to do first garage I've ever seen that did not have a single hairline <laughs> crack. And I looked and looked and looked because it's so common that I, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, well, that's all for us today, you guys. Uh, like we mentioned, we want to keep this short and sweet. We hope you guys have gotten some valuable information out of this. Uh, make sure to check back every other week for new episodes or better yet, subscribe to our RSS feed or our Chase and Kyle Master the Market podcast on iTunes. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Chase and Kyle with mm, just, Kyle. An, just an N <laughs> and Facebook and please leave us a review on our iTunes page. Really appreciate you guys' time today. Next episode, we're going to be talking about pricing on both sides of the equation. We'll be talking about what factors go into pricing a home for sale and for the buyers, what to consider when making an offer. Thanks again, everyone. Please share this with your friends and we'll talk to you again soon.